certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Hi everyone and welcome back to Claremont in Conversation. It has been 11 weeks since Justice Stephen Hall retired to consider his verdict and now the moment of truth is almost here. You're with Natalie Bongiolo, the West Australian's legal affairs editor, Tim Clark, and from Channel 7, Alison Fan. Welcome back to you both. It's been a while. It has been a long while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've been very busy, even though we may not have been putting out podcasts over the weeks. We have been working feverishly behind the scenes, haven't we, Tim? Well, I have. I don't know about you, really, but um, yeah, no, it has been a, fu- a full uh nearly three months um, between uh, between drinks. But, um, yeah, here we are and uh, yeah, here we go. And I think, you know, this is going to be such a momentous decision. Can you describe the anticipation um, of this verdict? Well, I'm nervous um, and... I told Carmen Barbara Gallo the other day when she texted me that I was nervous. Um, yeah. Why are you nervous? I don't. Well, it's just be, It's just going to be such a big day, and it's and it and it affects not only Bradley Robert Edwards but everyone that has been in his, in his orbit, I suppose, if you want to call it that way, in the trial for the last three years. I'm nervous for the families of Jane, Kira, and Sarah. I'm nervous for. The um, living victims of Mr. Edwards. I'm nervous for the prosecutors and the defence to put all the all, all the work in, um, yeah. and I'm nervous for for Justice Hall because I mean it, 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 he will undoubtedly be the most watched man in Western Australia yeah. next Thursday. I think um, because also there's such unprecedented public interest. We've certainly seen big trials and big verdicts. I remember when America's Cup hero Alan Bond got um, sentenced. The, it was a stampede, it was a crush of media, but not so much public actually wanting to attend there. Mm. It was, of course, all the international media that pumped that up. But this time, it's the mums and dads yeah. who um, are very, very connected to this case and have been for 20 years because it's one that involved the entire community. That's right. It almost is like a community is part of this trial. And well, I don't they will know. Be. They will be directly a part of this trial. That's right. And I don't know about you two, but I cannot count the amount of times I've been asked in the last 11 weeks what is going to happen. And of course, only one man has the answer to that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I do. You- same. I've been asked the same question a lot of times and a lot of different questions a lot of times as well about the case, about how I think the case went, how I, th- I think it's going to go. I'm I'm always reluctant to give a sort of an answer to that because, mm. um, you know, you, you, well, firstly, you want to seem knowledgeable about the case <laughs> and if you give the wrong answer, then you look like you haven't been paying attention. But uh, as you say, Nat, there's only one man who really knows. I mean, you can make an educated guess based on what or everything you've heard. Um, and it also seems that everyone else has got a different opinion or a, a slightly uh, amended opinion on on based on what they've heard and what they've written, uh, read and, and, and seen over the last sort of uh, year or so. I'm, so. I'm quite surprised at the doubt that a lot of people have expressed about mm. um, certain factors. They seem to focus on to one thing that they hear and don't want to let it go. And there is a, quite a bit of doubt from the 
uh, community mm. about a successful outcome for the prosecution, which surprises me because I, I think it's pretty cut and dried. Mm. Um, yeah, um, I that think way. that's – well, I think that's that's a good thing, really, that they yes. – that, that, that says to me that they actually have been, uh, and we know they have been, sort of paying very close attention because there is doubt there, or that there certainly is um, doubt there if you if you listen to what uh, Mr. Jovic said over the course of the trial, and certainly in the course of his closing arguments, and that is obviously what his job was to 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 raise um, the possibility of a reasonable reasonable doubt, and so I mean um, we will finally find out um, next Thursday um, whether he succeeded or not. And it's interesting that the um, judge has kept to the date that he stated. Um, he did say that if he finished earlier, he would bring it forward, but um, he's using every second. <laughs> every moment that he gave himself, <laughs> yes. Three, and do you read anything into that, that he has taken the full amount of time? Only oh. that he's being very, very cautious. Yeah. Um, he, uh, as I said right from the very start, um, on what's... A, on the mind of most judges is the possibility of an appeal. Mm. And so I think this is why mm. he's being super careful and has all throughout the trial has uh, interrupted some uh, testimony and clarified it. He wants his clarification so that he does not want an appeal on this case. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think he's probably given himself as much time as, as he felt was necessary. But, um, you know, speaking to... Um, people around the court environs, it was also quite important for them to be given as much time as they could, security guards, people involved in the actual, um, you know, uh, mechanics of, of, yes. of putting on this day because it is going to be a day, like a big day, probably one of the biggest days that um, the, 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 the West Australian justice system has dealt with, certainly um, for the last one I can see is the Lloyd Rainey um, verdict, which was in 2012. That was a huge um, uh, event, if I can put it that yes. way, um, in, in, in terms of um, the outcome, but obviously all the mechanics and all the all the people that, that go around it. And so um, court staff were um, quite wary and quite aware of it was coming up and they, ne- and they needed a date eventually to, to work towards um, so all the other arrangements could be put in place. That's right. And just talk us through what you're anticipating on the day in terms of the logistics. I mean, you know, for instance, there's massive roadworks happening right on the steps of the courthouse. Well, I've been told that they're going to be um, called off for the day. They're, this is literally going to stop traffic. They are... They're, there are major roadworks going on on Hay Street, which is where the district court building is situated in Perth. It is quite a tight sort of little um, area that all the, the, the lawyers and, and courts and, and barristers sort of occupy, and that is being dug up um, at, at the moment, right at the moment, and that has involved diggers and saws and, and major sort of street works. But I was informed today that the the construction companies involved have agreed to um, stop work that mm. day because there are going to be so many people um, and so so much activity in that very small area. No, as Ali said, a lot of cameras, a lot of reporters, a lot of public, a lot of people, a lot of cars dropping people off and picking people up. There'll be police, there'll be detectives, there'll be old detectives, there'll be, um, you know, 
it'll just be Everyone. a lot of activity. And so I, I've been told that they have agreed to do that um, out of uh, an abundance of caution, I think. And I wondered just how many people will show from from the general public because, you know, just from the emails we've received in recent weeks of the amount of people who are saying, how do we go? What time should we get there? How will we get into the courtroom? Mm. I wonder if the courts have any kind of a guesstimate at the public attendance. Well, they certainly have a number of a, a finite number of seats in the main courtroom, and they know they will now know today exactly how many people that will be allowed in there, given social distancing. So, we were told today there will be um, two courts, uh, other courts apart from Court Seventy Two, where the where the physical verdict will take place. There will be two other bill courts that will be able to house members of the public and interested parties which the verdicts will be live broadcast into so there's another m- main courtroom at the other end of the corridor from on the seventh floor of the district court building so that and that is a, another very big court will probably seat at least a hundred I would think so that will be open and then there'll be another court in the old supreme court building which again houses about can hold up to 60, 80 people, I suppose. So those two have been set aside for spill courts and then all the other media rooms that were um, active during the during the trial itself will also be um, uh, available. So they are, uh, you can take it from them, the rough guesstimate, they are anticipating mm. hundreds of people to want to be in the court. Now the main courtroom, obviously, there will be a significant um, amount of space put aside for the families of um, Jane, Sarah and Kira, the families of the other um, living victims, um, police, um, detectives, both um, current and retired, um, as my, myself and Ali w- were informed last week. Um, and then there's two rows for the media, and that will be first come, first serve. Anyone who can't get in or isn't, um, is there no room for them, their seating, then they will have to make other arrangements. Um, and then uh, after that, there, there will be room for members of the public. So just so many moving parts. Um, uh, going back to, as I say, this, this this is not just a case of Justice Hall sort of ringing up and saying, right, I'm ready. Um, there has been internal briefings and all sorts of things going on preparing for, for um, what is going to be a major, major day. Tim, they're starting a good hour earlier. Does that mean that mm. the courts will be open earlier, I wonder? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. So the verdict itself will will start at 9.15, which is um, earlier than the trial was starting. Um, and that that itself, because the court building itself won't open or doesn't usually schedule to open at 8.30. So I would I would imagine that they might open the court a little bit earlier just to um, accommodate everyone that's going to need to be in there um, quite early, um, you know, I- including um, broadcast media who will be doing sort of live crosses from the, from outside the building um, from 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 sun up, I would have thought. And Ali, will there be any chance that the verdict will be filmed and then broadcast? Well, the verdict will be filmed and broadcast, but just not by any of us. Uh, the courts have uh, now got the technology and the know-how to be able to do that, and we're told that they will be providing us all with an actual um, video of the actual findings, and um, we hope that it'll be a summarised version and he won't be reading out all his reasons for every <laughs> everything, which could take hours, but uh, that will be provided and it will also be up on the websites of the Supreme Court, but no one's allowed to record it mm. 
or republish it. Mm. So they will get, I should imagine, a camera lock on, locked on to the judge uh, so that no other vision will be um, available and we will hear his exact words. How long we have to wait for that, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. So those who don't get into the courtroom, they will still be able to see Justice Hall deliver his verdict. Mm, just not live. Just so not live. It's not going to be broadcast live. It's not going to be actually live streamed onto the Supreme Court website, but it will be uploaded um, ASAP after the hearing is finished and will remain there for um, at least a week, I think, or just over five days. I think they're going to go from the 24th and take it down on the 29th um so everyone who by then will really want to see it will be able to have a um a viewing of, of it of course everybody's just waiting to hear the actual words guilty or not guilty that's right yeah that's right so that's we were talking about this just outside whether justice hall um puts us out of our everyone out of their misery early and delivers his verdicts and then goes into his reasons or then starts his reasons and waits till to give his verdicts after he's explained why, we don't know. And that's that, that will be entirely up to him. I, judges, um, Some judges do deliver verdicts first and then provide some reasons. Um, the reason behind that is um, it can be seen as quite sort of um, well, cruel, I suppose, in some way, or mm. cer- certainly very stressful for those um, very involved parties to have to wait um, while the verdicts, uh, while the sort of reasoning is being given, so um, and some um, I have seen some accused people um, very anxious yes. in the dock, and and some judges make that judgment call right on the day. You know, it's going to help this process if I tell you now mm. what's happening, and then I'll give you the reasons, or the, I'll give the reasons I need to. So um, I've seen Justice Hall do do some and and um, some of these um, sort of written or verbal reasons um, before and um, in in those cases he has waited um, till the end but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he structures it how long it goes for um, and all most of most interest obviously it will be the verdicts and why he reached them yeah and and you cannot fathom the stress and the anxiety that those connected to the case and the victims families would be feeling how will they be taken care of um, on Thursday Ellie? They've been um, surrounded um, throughout this whole case with their own personal detectives who have been um, ushering them in through a special entrance, taking care of. They've been counselled the whole way um, in a case that I've never seen that before where they're actually protected virtually the whole time. They've got their own special um, police detective that's there to explain things, to protect them, and that should happen. But, of course... With this case, no matter what the verdict, the ordeal for the Spears family, because Sarah has never been found, Mm. that's not going to end on this day. There's Mm. not going to be any answers for them either way. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's right. You know, as we've said all along, um, your thoughts always go to Don and Carol and Dennis and Una and Lee and Adam and Jenny first because... um, it's a day that they've all waited for for so long and a day a lot of them never thought might arrive, but it is now here, it is now in the diary and, um, you know, we just hope um, it goes um, the way that they all hope it, it, it they want it to go. Yeah, I'm sure they feel physically ill as it gets closer and closer. And Tim, you mentioned feeling nervous almost for Justice Hall. 
you know, he is an exceptional human being, but he's also a man. Do you think he is also feeling nervous? You know, this is a huge weight that he is carrying. We, amongst the media pack, I mean, we do we do joke about um, judges and their different characteristics. And Justice Hall, as you say, is an exceptional jurist. Um, and he has a certain manner in court, which I think he's fair to say is it can be quite um, it can be quite bluff. He can be quite blunt, uh, blunt when he wants to be. He's got a very dry sense of humour, um, but um, as you say, Nat, he's a man. Um, he's married. He's a, he has he has children of his own, um, and I don't think um, you would be human unless you did feel some of the weight of the responsibility that has been placed on him. Um, um, but um, I have absolutely no doubt um, from the time he's taken, from the observance of him during the trial, <clears throat> that um, you know there, there there will be there will be no stone left unturned, no no thought left unpondered um, in the last twelve weeks and and previously um, that that you know he won't have he won't have missed anything, he won't have, he won't have missed a thing, and um, I think that will become. Um, clearly evident as he as he delivers his verdict next week. Yeah, I mean, Ali, you mentioned Lloyd Rainey and Damien Cripps, who obviously is a member of our podcast team. He sort of said that, you know, for him, you know, the only thing that he can liken to this is perhaps the Burnies back in, in 1980s. For people not from WA, David and Catherine Burney were a couple here in Perth in the 1980s, in 1986, and they lured young women to their home where they raped and tortured and murdered them. And in 1987, they were sentenced to four consecutive sentences of life imprisonment. Do you think that's how a similar, is it along a similar lines? Not really, because the Burnies pleaded guilty. And the only um, public interest was fleeting because when they first appeared in the Supreme Court, and at that time there was no walls protecting them, a, a few outraged members of the community came and shouted at them. But because there was no trial and they pleaded guilty, it was all over very, very quickly. Um, that was, of course, our first. Um, I guess, look at a, a serial killer, so to speak. Um, but that was a very unusual case, as the detectives have pointed out, because they found the victims before they um, found the actual offenders. Mm. And so it was very, very fast. It all happened over a matter of days. This one, of course, has dragged on for such a long time, and, and that's the unique part of it. It's two decades. Mm. And while we all thought it had gone very, very cold, we found out just recently that it it, it was open the whole time that they were working on it the entire 20 years. Mm. Yeah. And the other very notorious multiple killer in Western Australian history is a guy called Eric Edgar Cook, who um, was a, a very, I mean, they're all unique cases, but his case was extremely unique in that um, he shot people, he ran people over. Um, he was a very brutal killer, um, serial killer, and and he, and you know the darkness that that he inflicted on on Western Australian society in the 1960s um, uh, spanned decades as well because it, it turned out that two men had been convicted of crimes that Cook had actually um, um, done himself um, and there was an amazing book by a journalist called Estelle Blackburn called Broken Lives that basically blew the lid off those two miscarriages of justice. The reason I bring that case up is 
for all Cook's crimes, he only ever spent about a day and a half in court during a sentencing hearing, which was extremely brief. Mm. Um, uh, and given the gravity of his crimes, and Cook ended up being one of the last men hanged in Western Australia for his crimes, um, that sentencing hearing uh, in, a, in a capital case that ended up in a death sentence lasted two days. Mm. And uh, we were in... in in, in this case, we were in court for a trial for more than six months, and um, and for numerous hearings that were longer than two days in the in the three years previous to that. So, that that is why this case is is, is you know unique again because because of the just the length of time and now the abundance of material and evidence that we have before us, whereby for years and years and years um, the journalists and the speculators had to live on scraps of. Of, of 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 what you know what the the, the case of the Claremont killer was. Yep, it was an absolute vacuum at times. And of course, you mentioned an amazing book, which brings me to a question. Some of you listening may think that after sitting through a a 95-day, very intense, very gruelling trial, that Tim may have taken a bit of a break, but you would be wrong because he was exceptionally busy. And can you just share with everyone what you've been doing during the break? Um, yeah, so um, a lot of people mentioned during the trial and before that um, there is there, there is obviously a book in this case, and I was um, uh, asked by the editor of the West Australian um, if I would be willing to take that <laughs> take that um, take that task on and write a book about the case. So that's what I've been doing for the last um, little while in between um, <laughs> the uh, the end of the closing arguments and and Thursday. I've I've sort of took took myself away to various public libraries around Perth and and that's what I've done so um it's mostly written obviously the the last couple of chapters will be written um themselves in the in the next uh, week and and then a little bit beyond that um but so yeah so that that is um the case um from literally the start to the finish um is what I've endeavoured to try and um, capture. Um, it's in the very capable hands of one of the West <laughs> sub-editors at the moment as we speak. He's probably in a, a little room down the hall just putting the finishing touches to the last bits. Um, so, so yeah, so that'll be available um, hopefully um, before the end of the year or definitely before, before the end of the year. Um, and um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it's well received. And it's called Enigma of the Dark. And this was in reference to something Carmel Babagello said. Yeah, so the enigma of the dark was was the the phrase that Carmel used in 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 one of the very early paragraphs, and um, very early stages of her opening address. Uh, in that she said there was it was an enigma of the dark that that had sort of had Claremont and Perth in its thrall, um, and then the, the the trial and the case and the prosecution and the evidence were. Um, intended to um, cast some light on that enigma, on that puzzle. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a phrase that we used um, on the front page of the newspaper on the first day of the trial. And it was the phrase that stuck with me throughout the trial because I thought it, it, it captured perfectly um, um, what um, Perth had, had lived through. Um, it was an enigma, it was a puzzle, it was a mystery. And obviously all those crimes were committed um uh, or allegedly committed um, under the cover of darkness, and so I did um, do the courtesy of Carmel to, of Carmel of, of contacting her and asking her for permission if I could oh. use that phrase because 
it was hers. I did think that um, I should do that out of courtesy, and she very kindly said, um, "Well, you know, it's something I use. It's something in court." And um, so, yeah, yeah. So that's that's a, so that is the the title of the book. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully, it does capture some of that enigma, and yeah. um, and we will find out if it has been solved um, and how much of it has been solved um, next week. And we're quite excited because uh, you've got some extracts in the papers this weekend which we will be able to read. So there's a lot of excitement around to just see uh, what are in the pages. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, given the um, the size of the case and given that, that it will be next week, um, the, the editor did tap me on the shoulder the other day and say, um, is any any of it ready? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> no was, pressure. No, no pressure. So there was, uh, yeah. So um, on Saturday and Sunday, um, there will be um, some, uh, a couple of chapters from the early pages of the book um, for people to, to read and enjoy and give me uh, undoubted feedback on. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing it um, in print and not just um, not just on my laptop. Yes, well, extraordinary hard work and um, just shows the meticulous uh, person that you are and what you have been through this entire case. And Ali, you've also been working on an application um, which could be very interesting. Yes, while we're reading... Um Tim's uh, book, um, ours is purely um, oral, and we've been um, working on an affidavit, well, I've been working on an affidavit with our lawyers to try to obtain the actual police arrest video um, that faithfully records step-by-step the minute police burst through the doors of Bradley Roberts Edwards' home in Kudal in December 2016 and what happened from then on. Uh, This is an application that has to be made to the judge, whether he agrees to release that, but I think it's important that the public does see the way they conducted that um, that interview. There was no, no uh, usual perceptions of a police arrest, that it was all done very, very professional, very courteous, and also I think what is important is his demeanour because what a reporter can't do accurately is report the tone of a person, and while I might s- describe it as a monotone or bland, that could be a... A distortion. Someone would say, well, no, he always talks like that. But what struck me was Bradley Robert Edwards' response to this surprise raid, uh, a tone and demeanour that he's continued all through this entire trial and almost impossible to describe until you hear it. Mm. And so hopefully we'll get that for podcast listeners maybe in the future. Yeah, because you said many times it was actually very difficult to give a full picture and make people understand what it was you were listening to and seeing in the courtroom. It was, it was quite astonishing. I've never seen a reaction like that from someone. If you have there's an entire task force, police burst through your front door. Um, there was a bit of um, bewilderment, but nothing really that was exciting. You know that anybody would would normally react to, um, and that's and just the way they came through the door and they do it step by step. They re- record what they're saying. They record ev- everything step by step, so it's there to be seen and heard uh, for this raid and arrest that everyone's waited twenty years. And it's the very first time you hear the voice of Bradley Robert Edwards. His response to the questions to these murders. Yeah. And that, of course, was one of the most impactful moments of the trial, but there were so very many of them. And, you know, Tim, for instance, you talked at the very start about sitting in court and listening to the voice of Sarah Spears. Yeah. And um, getting some sort of our 
print coverage ready for next week's sort of papers leading up to Thursday. Um, it was it was again just thinking back. It was just just one of those moments that that will always stick with me, but certainly stuck with me during the trial because it was just so. It was just it, it brought everything to to life if you if if you like. I mean, and you know, I've talked about before that the the, the names of Sarah and Jane and Kira they sort of they were sort of burned into the psyche of Western Australia, and we felt like we knew them, and and certainly people who lived through the the time of the disappearances um, certainly felt a kinship to those um, three young women because they had lived their lives. They'd, they'd been to Claremont, they'd been to those pubs, they'd probably tried to hitchhike home or got or got a lift from someone that maybe they didn't know that well. And, 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 and that's why everyone felt so close to the case. And then knowing, and then knowing the victims as, as, as you came to th- think you did, but you'd never heard from Sarah, you'd never. We eventually did see Jane on the CCTV when they released it many, many years later. We certainly hadn't seen that CCTV of of Kira that we also saw in the in the courtroom. But there was something about the voice, the Australian accent, the mm. the the the, um, the the you know the, the youth in it. The, the the because Sarah was only eighteen, um, and. You know, the fact that it was so ordinary, it's such an ordinary phone call to make, calling a cab after a night out. Um, yeah, where are you going? Muslim Park. Okay, thanks. Names, beers. Bye. And that was it. Yeah. But that was that, Dan, that, that was it, um, because that is the last moment that, w- the, that we know of that Sarah was alive. Um, and to hear it in those circumstances with s- some of Sarah's nearest and dearest close to you was yep. was a very um, vivid moment for uh, anyone who was in that court and um, and um, it remained one of the vivid moments of the whole trial. Yeah, that's right. And of course, that audio wasn't released by Justice Hall out of respect for the family, mm-hmm. as was a lot of information that was um, presented as evidence. And I think for many people, uh, just hearing the recounting of the final night's of the victims. This was information we had never, ever heard before. And this was information that is still shocking when you think back about it. Yeah. Um, again, Sarah's friends, Jane's friends, Kira's friends, the taxi driver that was supposed to pick Sarah up, the young man in the car that think they saw Sarah leaning against that bollard, the numerous witnesses that think they saw Kira, the the couples that heard the screams in Wellard and 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 in Mosman Park, um, you know, you you when you piece that all together, mm. it, it presents a, a compelling picture. Mm. But then each one of those accounts is a story in itself and an experience in itself, and 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 obviously so vivid for so many of those people because they got visibly upset while retelling those tales from so many years ago. Um, and then particularly um, Tammy Evans and Mr Atkinson, who were the, the, the unfortunate but vitally important people who, who, who stumbled across the bodies of Jane and Kira, who, who were both obviously very, still very affected by, by that moment in their life, which became a very big moment in everyone's lives in Perth. Um, and still, um, you know, the, the sight of Mrs Evans recounting her, her, you know, 
um, contact with Jane and the fact that she refused to leave her alone. Yes. And then Mr. Atkinson's um, obviously visibly affected by the memory, but then his very slight but very meaningful gesture of just touching um, Dennis Glennon's hand as he exited court um, again were just very like tiny moments really, but very um, telling of of um, how much this um, th- th- this experience and the and the and the, this part of the story um, affected them and affected everyone. Yes, and and just as you mentioned, you know, so many coincidences and sliding door moments, and what if this had have happened or this hadn't have happened? You know, uh, Jane would never have been found, or Kira would never have been found if it wasn't for this extraordinary series of events. Yes, I think a lot of the emotional um, parts of the trial was when you actually saw their friends who are now in their late 40s and 50s and who are still in agony about the what ifs. Yes. Why didn't why didn't we force her to come with us? What if why did we persuade her to come with us? In Kira's case, Kira didn't want to go. But her friends who've now given evidence, they're lawyers, they look back and think, Well we forced her to go. You know, why did we do that? So they're still haunted by that. And I think that when it brought it all home that here are these people in their fifties, their mothers, they're at the peak of their professions and there's Kira and Jane and Sarah back then, and a lot of that's, I think, quite something you'd never, ever forgive or forget. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I guess just wading your way through uh, the forensic evidence and the fibre evidence, it was really tough going and very difficult to cover and to explain to everyone. Uh, but I think, you know, that moment when you told us about the the male DNA profile being found, I think for many people that was, uh, wow, you know, this is the sort of thing you'd hear about or read about in a crime thriller. Mm, yeah, I mean, that is the eureka moment, the breakthrough moment, um, the landmark moment, however you want to call it. And as much as it was, um, uh, you know, quite... The evidence around it was quite dry um, in terms of all the tests that had to be done and the processes that had to go. We had to go through and and try and understand and try and explain. Um, <clears throat> there was still an anticipation in the court of getting up to that very moment when the the, the, the DNA was discovered in the UK, and then that email came back to Perth. Um, and since um, since reporting on this trial. Um, Perth being Perth, my path has crossed with a couple of, of people that didn't give evidence but were certainly involved in the in the wider scheme of that breakthrough and that um, that news filtering back from the UK and 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 the uh, the people that I've spoken to have recounted how they will never forget where they were um, when that phone call came or that email dropped or the, or, or that news was relayed to them because again 96 Sarah went missing 97 um, uh, Kira um, Kira's body was discovered 2008 was when that DNA was finally found after so many um, uh, dead ends and 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 false hopes um, and so yeah, it was. It, 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 it is a moment in time that that, that depending on what Justice Hall um, finds on Thursday, um, will become one of the most significant forensic findings in Western Australian um, um, just 
justice. That's right. And I think, you know, depending on which way the verdict goes or either way, that this could have a really huge impact on cases going forward. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, just um, for various reasons, obviously the, the obvious reason is to everyone wants to know um, whether, they, whether they've caught him or not. Um, but there will be a lot of different um, elements to the, 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 the mass findings that Justice Hall will, will make on Thursday that will have serious legal repercussions. Um, the, obviously, the strength of DNA evidence, um, this, this um, particular type of DNA evidence, this low copy number, um, it'll have an impact on, on the, um, the reputation of Path West, um, because of all the contamination events that we heard about and what Justice Hall finds about those and maybe comments about those. Um, propensity evidence, um, uh, circumstantial evidence or circumstantial murder cases, uh, in particular um, w- w- with Sarah, because there is no body and there, 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 there seems to be a paucity really of, of direct evidence or what he finds there. Um, all, all, all those things will be... Um, scrutinised very closely, not just by me and, and and anyone who's been reporting on the case, but much wider than that, it, certainly in the legal community in West mm. Australia and beyond, um, and, and and very much so um, Paul Jovic um, and Mr Edwards' defence teams, because they'll be pouring it over, over it to see if they... Th- Think um, you're going to use that word appeal one way or the other. (laughs) If there is, if there are convictions, whether any of that reasoning um, might be slightly flawed, and so they might have uh, grounds for appeal. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of Mr. Jovic, I mean, I think it was very surprising or a surprising moment for many of us during the trial, Ali, when uh, Mr. Jovic presented his defence, and it was over in the blink of an eye. We've still got a lot of questions over that particular one, especially about the temperatures of Gosnells on (laughs) Australia Day. Uh, I don't know whether we'll ever find any resolution to that, but yes, it did end very abruptly considering that his um, bombshell opening was you've got the wrong guy and then it ended. Yeah, Yeah, the case ended, but then he he spent a week doing his closing. So, you know, that that was really when he tried to punch as many holes as he could in, in the prosecution case. Um, his closings actually went longer than than Miss Barbara Gullers did eventually. Um, and there was a lot to digest in those closing arguments um, for a lot for a lot of uh, for a lot of different reasons um, because that was where obviously all the threads and all the all the all the the questions of you know disparate wit- witnesses which at the time out of context you think why is he asked that um, yeah. and then when the closing arguments came together you realised ah that's where he was trying to get to. Just to get it, go over t- something too that people have asked about Edwards not giving evidence, and Tim, you know the Justice Hall did take the very unusual step of telling Paul Jovic, "I'm going to direct this question to your client directly. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give evidence?" Because he didn't want anything coming back from Edwards saying, "I wished I'd given evidence." No, yeah, I wasn't given the and chance. That was, or I, I wasn't given understand. the chance. Exactly. So he asked him direct, and he said no. Mm. And that was uh, that was thinking about it. Now it was sort of in the same vein of the uh, of the way that the interview or the, uh, the start of the recorded interview was conducted, because we mentioned at the time, the police asked Mr. Edwards over and over and over again whether he understood his rights, whether he wanted to have a lawyer, whether he knew whether he had to answer a question or any question or all the questions or no questions. They 
they they made it they 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 tread so carefully at the start and Tom Percy when we when we talked about this at the time um Tom Percy who was very kind to give us some of the time during some of his time during the trial to to explain these things to us um was you know I think it's the most complimentary I've heard Mr. Percy on about any policeman in, on any time I've talked to him <laughs> over the years because he said, "Look, they did everything 120 percent by the book, um, and which is obviously the way it should be done every time." But unfortunately, we know possibly it isn't, and so I think um, Justice Hall maybe um, maybe. T- took some lead from that, or certainly used the same reasoning to say, "There, I am going to make sure." Absolutely, everybody knows um, everything was done um, for Mr. Edwards to to be given the chance to give evidence if he wanted to, and no grounds for appeal. Um, which again clo- just closes off another, or uh, if there were ever was going to be one, an avenue of of possible doubt or possible recrimination, um, um, you know, some way somewhere down the track. Just uh, sitting here and and talking with you both now, it is almost mind-boggling how much information was got through in that trial. It is absolutely gobsmacking how much was presented. And in that time as well, Nat. I think, That's right. Like, well, I've spoken to a lot of people that said they, they, they did bloody well to get through yeah. all that in, in six, six months or so. And I, and I know... You know, we, you know, particularly during the fibre evidence. Um, you know, I, 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 it was I hope some of the audience felt my pain, and I hope <laughs> I didn't inflict any of it on them because we were trying every day to sort of go through the process, and that's what they had to go through the process. Now, look, there were a few raised eyebrows amongst a few people saying, "Why do we have to do it this way?" But that was the way <laughs> it was chosen to do it. Um, but even that. Um, you know, they got through it in a week or so with 98 critical fibres. You know, um, so, yeah, they did it. I, yeah. I, I think everyone involved in in actually structuring and, and, and getting this trial um, to the start and then to the finish um, should be praised for, for, the, for their... Especially for, for, with the COVID restrictions. Yes, well, and that's the yeah, thing. Well, Throw in a global sling pandemic. Slinging a pandemic oh. in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, and again, I... Preparing for next week, I, I, I reviewed what Justice Hall said on that day, and he said, "You know, paraphrasing, the world outside is changing, but we will not." And he, the, you know, there was a, there was a <laughs> steely <bomb>. determination. <laughs> we have got yep. this far. We are not going to stop now. You know, and I'm co- going to bring co- my own hand sanitizer. <laughs> I mean, if you know, <laughs> COVID be damned. So. That's right. And and Kate, our producer, was speaking to Damien Cripps yesterday, and he said to her, "I remember thinking to myself, well, good luck to anyone in the next 100 years who tries to present a reason why a case cannot go ahead, because this case found a way to go ahead because the people of Western Australia needed it to go ahead." Yeah. And that, I, you know, and it, and that's what he said from the start, from the very first day. He said, "This is a very important trial. I know it's a very important trial, and everyone will treat it as such." And um, and he was uh, true to his word. Well. Exactly one week, Thursday the 24th of September, you will be back in the courtroom after a break and waiting for probably the most important verdict ever handed down in West Australian criminal history. We will be back on that day with the podcast. Good luck to you. I know you're probably right to feel nervous, Tim, and I think absolutely everybody associated with this this trial is probably feeling nervous. So not long to go now. 
<laughs> no, not long to go. Um, uh, but it'll fly by because <laughs> there's plenty of work to do in between now and then for <laughs> for us um, media types. And um, yeah, as I said, I just um, uh, hope that the day goes um, as well and as smoothly and as um, um, you know uh, as, as it, it can, can do yeah. for uh, those um, closest. Um, to the, this case and the victims in this case. Yeah, and you can keep up with uh, all of Tim's stories at thewest.com.au and uh, see Alison's reports on 7 News. We'll be back next Thursday and we hope that you can join us then for Claremont in Conversation, The Verdict. Bye for now. This podcast is hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and recorded in the studios of 7 West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune into WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.